Welcome to Total Health Transformation Podcast, hosted by Dr. Danny Scarhill. Dr. Danny is a doctor of chiropractic, an author, speaker, and trainer. And on the THT Podcast, he interviews other health experts to glean further insights that will help you achieve total health transformation. Welcome to the Total Health Transformation Podcast. My name is Dr. Danny Scarhill, the founder of dannyscarhill.com, the author of Total Health Transformation, the proven system to unlock limitless energy, motivation, and health, and the creator of the Total Health Transformation programs. Let's get straight into it on this episode. Tonight, we've got a very special guest. From way back in 1985, Marilyn's entire world turned upside down. Not for the first time, but definitely the worst time. She was diagnosed with cancer, not one form, but two. Within two weeks, nothing in her life made sense. By 1989, she found herself 88 pounds in a wheelchair, given less than two weeks to live. That was then. Today, she's a global renowned in- inspirational speaker, author of several best-selling books, international radio and TV personality, health coach and the vitality doctor. She has transformed the lives of thousands of people who have attended her seminars and trainings, bought her books and tapes, or been coached or counseled by her. With 40 plus years of experience in various aspects of the health and longevity, both holistic and mainstream, no one has a broader, more integrated perspective on healthcare than Dr. Joyce. Welcome to the call, Dr. Marilyn Joyce. How are you doing? Hello, Dr. Danny. I am great. Wonderful to be on the call on this call. Excellent. It's a pleasure to have you on with us tonight. So let's say a little bit about your journey, Dr. Marilyn. How did you get to where you are today from where you started? You know, it's a very interesting experience for me because I had just prepared what was going to be a short email for someone who's going through the cancer journey right now and afraid to step out and take take action, you know, and my theory around cancer is it loves inactivity or inaction, you know, it thrives on that. Um, So as I was writing that email to this person, I realized, wow, what a journey life has been for me, you know, I mean, it's like today, as you mentioned, I'm the vitality doctor and I didn't call myself that. My patients called me that years ago and it kind of stuck. Um, and you know, when I think back to 1989, when I was in the wheelchair and I was given less than two weeks to live. And, and then I think about 26 years of living a life that's been fulfilling. Yes, there's been challenges. I mean, you don't live on this planet without having challenges along the way, but nothing compared to that, that time when everything seemed hopeless. You know what I mean? It's just, it was just that experience. And so as I wrote that email to this person last night, um, I realized also that, you know, um, there are people who are definitely going to survive and thrive. And then there are others who probably won't survive and thrive because of their perspective on life. And so, so I guess what I'm getting at with all of that is that, you know, there, I am a survivor. That's one thing I've, I've known about myself since I was a teenager. 
when I was on the streets of Toronto as a homeless kid, a homeless runaway kid. And, you know, getting going through that journey and then, you know, a journey with food issues and then to be diagnosed with cancer in 1985 and going through that journey for five years and coming out on the other end and then, you know, surviving and not just surviving but thriving. Um, it has been quite a journey, to be quite honest. Um, with the cancer journey, it really was the deepest journey for me because what it what that journey did for me was it it forced me to look at more issues than I had been looking at before. We always look at, uh, you know, at least most people look at cancer as food related issue, when in fact it is a whole person issue. And so when I was going through my own journey with cancer, it's and I and I try never to own the cancer. It was my journey, not my cancer, you know, and that's one of the the things I talk about to my patients as well. So so often people want to own the illness, you know, my cancer, my illness, my my uh, brain tumors, my you know, it's always my. Well, I always redirect them on that because it's not. That's just an invader in the body. What is what it what you do own is your journey and how are you going to address that journey and deal with it? And so on my journey, it was really about getting down to the heart of what was going on for me emotionally. Because I do believe that nutrition is critical. That's the foundation of everything with this physical body that we live in. But there's also the whole aspect of where are you coming from emotionally, mentally, and spiritually as well? And um, there is a lot of research that truly does indicate that cancer is founded on unresolved emotional issues. So that really was something that I had to look at coming from a home life when I was a kid of, you know, literally being raised by, well, I wasn't being raised by the my mother because she was too ill to actually do much but she was uh, suffering with mental illness paranoid schizophrenia and so my journey really was when I started to really look at things I started to really look at how that impacted me as a child and how that then impacted my teenage years and then into my you know the future years that led to that experience with cancer and once I was able to resolve those underlying issues then of course the rest is history. I'm still here today. Absolutely fantastic, um, inspiring journey that you've that you've been on to date. Um, I love the way you talked about things being a journey rather than people. You know, a lot of people want to put a label on stuff and say my cancer, my this, my that, my the other. It's great to just um, go with the flow and be 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 in the journey. I, I really like that. That was good. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, Danny, I honestly believe that uh, when you're when you're going through something like this, you know, it's like they say, it's not the the outcome that's so important. It's really the journey that you're on. And when you think about it that way, really, the outcomes come and go, right? I mean, we we have outcomes throughout our entire lives as long as we're on this planet above the ground. But it's how we deal with the journey. It's how we relate to the journey. You know, there's a saying that it's not what happens to you, but how you relate to what happens to you that's important. And so often, I mean, people go into fear and doubt. It doesn't matter what it is, what the whether it's a, a financial situation or an illness or 
you know, something else in your life. It's how, you know, if you go into it from the standpoint of fear and doubt and anxiety, and, and we all do from time to time. I mean, that's human nature. But if we can really quickly reframe it so that we can see it more as a lesson, uh, what, it, what is this experience teaching me? What can I gain from it? How can I grow from it? And I think when we come from that perspective, we have a lot more opportunity for life and fulfillment and longevity and making a difference on the planet, et cetera. Oh, definitely 100%. Any, any challenges that I ever have in my life, first question I ask myself is what can I learn from that? What did yeah. I learn from that or what could I? You know, it makes an awful lot of sense, doesn't it? Exactly. Oh, exactly. I mean, and it's really the only way that you can uh, experience any kind of joy in your life because you it takes you out of the situation to look at what you've gained from it and what you can then share with others. Because, I mean, the truth is I believe that we're all interdependent and that we it, it's our, it, our job is to take what we learn, turn it into something really useful, and then share it with some, someone or others who may need that uh, inspiration, that solace, that uh, prompting, that that whatever it is that you can share with them to better their lives, because it's only in service to others that we actually really ever do have any joy anyway. <laughs> it's pretty true that, yeah. Yeah. So in, in your journey so far to date, um, in, your, in your quest for health, what were the failures and the biggest lessons that you'll learn from those challenges? Wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I would say that, you know, there's in my in my uh, view, there's never really any failures. There's just stepping stones to the next uh, experience. But if I were to say what I learned. You know, I really learned that one of the key lessons I learned was to go deep within. So often um, in my, well, in my youth, I traveled around the world. I was looking for myself. I'm from that era, right? We, the, the Beatles era, the hippie era. And um, there was a saying, I'm searching for myself. I went to India in search of myself. I went to the UK because that's where I was born and and raised for the first few years of my life. I'm a Scots girl from Ochtamochti, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I never would have guessed that. I know. It's too long away, right? But my dad lived and died in Edinburgh. So, you know, I mean, I went to the UK searching for myself and, you know, visited my family and because all my family lived in the UK. None of them lived over here. So I did all of that in search of myself, only to find out that wherever I went, there I was, you know, it was the same me. And so in the long and short of it, it was actually when I got to India and I spent a year and a half there in total silence for the first year. It was what they called Mauna. And I was not allowed to speak. And for somebody who'd grown up in North, you know, UK for the first six years and North America for the next whatever number of years, um, I was 20 years old. And to shut my mouth and not say anything for a year was really a tough experience, at least for the first month or two. And But during that time, if you can't open your mouth and talk, which many of us just do without thinking, talk about anything and nothing, 
I was forced to really go deep within. And it was not a pleasant journey going deep within because I didn't really like me. You know, I grew up being told I was useless. And I think on a very deep level, I actually believed a lot of that stuff. And so getting deep inside forced, you know, it really forced me to look at what was going on. Who, what were my demons inside? Did I deal with them effectively at that point in my life? Probably not because I did develop cancer later on. But, but I did get to a place where I learned that Silence is truly golden. You know, there, 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 that song really was a significant song back in my era. And it's, in fact, it's so funny, Dan, Danny, because this weekend was, you know, 45 year anniversary of, um, oh my God, I'm blank, Woodstock. Okay. Right. And I was there. <laughs> so, you know, it was like the, this whole re- memory of how, uh, you know, we, we were all searching for something and we, you know, it was always outside of ourselves. And the, the journey for me kept taking me back into myself, like back inside, looking for the answers inside. So I'm thrilled that I experienced Woodstock and I'm thrilled that I went through all of that, but I'm really, really grateful that I was prompted to, to travel around the world back in that era and to end up in a place called India and to end up in an ashram and really have to go deep in deep within and look at the uh the emotional stuff and the uh the lack of spirituality that I had at that point in my life and develop that and I would say probably the key lessons I learned were that we're nothing if we're not whole if we only address one part of ourselves you know how the medical community today it divides you into four pieces really there's the physical part that gets dealt with and they use a lot of cut, burn and poison systems for cancer patients and probably for other illnesses too. Um, and then there's the um, emotional part, which psychologists and psychiatrists are hired to deal with. And the spiritual part, which we go to church or, or the synagogue or whatever our belief and philosophy is, we go there for counseling and coaching uh, and to find our spiritual self. And, um, so basically, you know, we've got our physical, emotional, and then, and the the mental of course is dealt with by the psychiatrist or the psychologist as well. And so, and then the spiritual part and the parts are never kind of combined. They're never put together and dealt with as a whole. And I think that that is the, the system that in other parts of the world, that's the system they use, uh, in the East for example. Certainly they have their, their physical and the, me- the medical systems, but they treat a person as a whole person and try to get to the underlying root cause of the problem, whatever it is, uh, whether it's you know migraine headaches or cancer or heart disease, they get to the root cause and deal with that. We band-aid things in the medical community and you know treat the symptoms instead of the causes. And so that was probably one of the most important learnings uh, that I received or, or, or honed from all of those years of dealing with the ups and downs of my own life, the challenges of my own life was, you know, that aspect of the whole person. So, you know, for example, in the work that I do today, a lot of times patients will come to me and say, I came to you for nutrition because my first in biochemistry and human nutrition and I really believe strongly in the foundation of excellent nutrition but they'll say to me I came to you for nutrition and I got my life back 
because we deal with the whole person, not just a part of them. You know, even as to, down to the words we use, they're so critically important because thoughts create words, words create, you know, decisions, decisions create actions. And if you don't get to the, the underlying thoughts that a person has, well, lo and behold, if those thoughts are stinking thinking, they're going to lead to a stinking body of some sort in some way or another. Right? Without a doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. So I love what you um, brought up about the medical profession. And it's it's definitely the same the world over, particularly in the Western world. I think even the East is getting more Westernized in their yeah. thinking, unfortunately. Um, they are very, very reductionist. And, you know, one of my professions is a chiropractor, as, as I'm sure you're uh, well aware of that. And one of our main bugbears with the medical profession, don't get me wrong, there's a place for everything. There's a place for every expertise. But they That's reduce it. things down to little separate systems and they don't communicate. They, they make out that you can fix one thing and ignore the rest of the, the rest of the systems. It's just, it's crazy. I, one of the things I subscribe to and I've always believed even before as a chiropractor is eat well, move well, think well, and you will be well. And it just so happens that is very much chiropractic philosophy. So we're on the same page there, Marilyn, 100%. I love that. That is so well said, Danny. It's so succinct and says it all. And that is it in a, in a nutshell. It really is. That's the whole person approach. Absolutely. And it's so sadly lacking overall. I mean, it, even in the, in the past week, Danny, I've had so many people contact me and they're just, they're running scared. They've been diagnosed with many of them stage four cancer and all they want to do is to figure out what diet and supplements to take. When you mention anything else to them, they're not there. They just, it's our, we, they've been so conditioned that the only way that they're going to get over this cancer is to change their diet radically, which I do agree, and they do need to do that, but that's all they want to do. And they don't want to start moving their body. And we know that cancer doesn't thrive well in an aerobic. Uh, in an aerobic environment. So you've got to move your body so that you're breathing deeply and you're getting oxygen into your body so that cancer cells can't grow. But instead we go in and do the cut, burn and poison uh, uh, systems or treatments and become weaker and weaker and weaker so that we're not able to, um, I mean, that's where I was at. Wasn't able to walk. I was stuck in a wheelchair, unable to walk. Because I had been so um, devastated by the cancer. Nobody had actually suggested movement, um, you know, uh, drinking lots of water, take, uh, breathing deeply, you know. And those were, I, I'd learned all those things in yoga, but had forgotten them, you know, over the, over the ensuing years, had forgotten them. It was only when I got back to basics, those kinds of things, that I got well. Yeah, it's, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Getting back to basics is what most people forget. Yeah, yeah, so. it's it's the only solution. I mean, we we live in a world where everything's tampered with. So true. You know, the food is the food isn't real. I mean, when you have a, a hamburger that can live for twenty five years and never change form, <laughs> that's a pretty strange hamburger. <laughs> if that's a real food burger, then we're in trouble. <laughs> I 100% agree. 
most yeah. of the world is in trouble because a lot of the world live on that stuff day in day out unfortunately oh, yeah and it's infiltrated the world you know with these burger stands you know it's not just mcdonald's they're all serving the same garbage yes <laughs> i was going to use another word but i'm not sure if your audience would appreciate it but anyway yeah they're they're all serving the same garbage and people are living on that and you know this the saddest journey for me was with a 26 year old young woman that I, I got a frantic call to work with her. We worked for two weeks, nonstop day and night, literally. And the problem was she had liver cancer, 26 years old, liver cancer. And you know what they let her order in at the hospital? They let her order a pepperoni pizza. Her liver was already non-functioning. Now this liver of hers had to deal with a pizza with loaded with nitrates. There's no way it could possibly survive. And that's the kind of food that people are living on. Nitrate loaded, nitrites, nitrates, soap, sulfates, you name it, preservatives. And that's just mild stuff compared to a lot of the other things that are out there. And that's what's in our food. And that's what people are living on. And it's killing our bodies. There's no way you can live unless the food is life-sustaining food and pure water. You know, and it's just, that's the sad part. It's our tampered with food, tampered with air, tampered with earth, tampered with everything. And um, until, unless we do get back to basics, that's why I'm so thrilled with this new trend. Uh, it's been going on for a long time, but it, people think of it as new, you know, the organic trend. Yeah. And um, I applaud the UK and Europe and other parts of the world where they have not allowed genetically modified organisms to take over yet. Hopefully they won't. But there is, you know, there's so much controversy on that matter right now. But the fact of the matter is that in North America, we've been guinea pigs for the last 25 years or more. Yeah, it's true that. And uh, yeah. it is surprising that... Um... UK and Europe hasn't caught on with that because all the way throughout my life something happens in America five or ten years later it happens in England but that hasn't happened thankfully so hopefully right. they've, uh, they've took a stand on that and uh, never back down I would hope yeah I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that because when I read some of the information about what's going on over there you know I get I fear for for um the rest of the world because Monsanto has had such a strong foothold. But the good news is that they don't have such a strong foothold today. And they're not the only ones. I mean, I have a whole chapter in my book, Instant Energy, that addresses why go organic versus commercial. And it talks about the 20 top companies that are in cahoots. You know? And it's so it's not just Monsanto. You know, you've got DuPont and lots of others. But Monsanto has been the one that has led the, the you know, the journey let's say into full-on genetically modified organisms and we just really don't know the long-term effects and i believe that a lot of the problems we have with our health today is the result of that kind of um infiltration into our food supply and our water supply because anything that goes into our food supply is going into our water supply as well in one form or another absolutely of course yeah yeah, yeah so over the years, you've battled with cancer um, five times, haven't you? And successfully, obviously, because you're still here, 
well done right. you by the way and um since recovering after that fifth time you had cancer um my question for you is how come it took um multiple times of getting cancer before you worked out how to never get it again what changed for you did something trigger in you yes i absolutely something did trigger and it was interesting that's a very interesting and powerful question quite honestly danny because five times going through that and i tried everything i mean i literally left no stone unturned i was going to knock this so and so out of my body if it was the last thing i did and um I did almost give up the battle, I will be honest. But what happened was that I, in the process, I did go through three rounds of chemo initially. And that was probably, if I was to say it, there was any mistake I made, that was probably the biggest mistake I ever made. Because it wiped me out. I couldn't, I got to the point where I couldn't hold anything down. I was spending so much time talking to the great white telephone in the bathroom, if you get my gist on that, that I just really was, there was nothing staying in my body to, to heal my body or to take care of the healthy cells. So, you know, it was really, that was the, the biggest mistake I think I made. Now, when people say to me, should I not do chemo or should I do chemo? I can't make that decision for them. Uh, it is a different world in the chemo world today than it was back in the 80s when it was just, you know, bolus chemo. You go in, you get loaded with it, and then they send you home to throw up or die. Um, and so that's kind of what I went through the first time. And then when I realized that I was not going to be around if I continued that journey, I quit that journey. I quit the chemotherapy. And that's when I started the journey of looking for, you know, the miracle cure the magic bullet. And I literally traveled around the world looking for answers. And I tried everything. I mean, I was even shooting, you know, 714X into my system, into my veins to try to overcome this, which was a treatment from Europe, uh, from um, Germany. But the point was that I got to the point, got, got to the place where I just, I would overcome the cancer, go into remission. And then I think what happened was, like I said, I never really dealt with the underlying emotional issues. I had gone deep inside when I was in my, you know, early twenties when I was in India, but I had, you know, come back to America, got married, raised two kids, uh, went through a lot of other experiences and, uh, and I of course went through divorce shortly after I got married. So there I was with two kids. Um, but you know, the point that I'm getting at is that I was, I got caught up in life and didn't really address the underlying issues that rooted back in my childhood. And so when I went through this journey in and out of cancer, I was always avoiding looking inside. So everything I was doing was, remember I said, I, we'd go outside and look at what's outside. Everything I was doing was external. You know, I was looking for the next magic bullet, the next um, amazing treatment, but they were all addressing the physical body and they were all external, uh, items that I was, or, or treatments that I was looking at. Nothing about going deep inside. And then during that last bout, when I was at my lowest point, you know, 88 pounds in a wheelchair, less than two weeks to live, couldn't eat or drink anything. Uh, all I could do was suck on ice chips. That was the lowest point I could get to. 
And ironically, I was dragged off to a home show in that wheelchair where I met Jim the Vitamix man. And he asked me if I had, you know, if, if, if I would like to try some of these things he was concocting. And I said, I, I, I can't. I, I mean, I just can't hold anything down. He said, but you can suck on ice chips, right? And I said, yeah, I, I can. Uh, so he actually made a concoction with cantaloupe fruit and seeds, not the skin. The skin is very porous. And so he carefully removed the fruit from this skin, which could be very potentially bacterially uh, contaminated. But he took the fruit and the seeds and put them in this machine called a Vitamix machine, which I refer to as a two horsepower lawnmower for food. It just it turns it all into a, some form of sludge or liquid. And, um, and then he added ice to it and can, created this ice chip concoction, which he handed to me. And, you know, lo and behold, it stayed down. And so the, the long and short of it was that I finally had something that I could, that, that, that would stay down. And I will tell you, you know, there's a saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, if that was staying down, that was all I was going to have. And that's literally about all I lived on for about two months. But I'd, I'd outlived my prognosis with that. So that was the one step on that. I call it my miracle weekend. The next day, I was dragged off to a Dr. Bernie Siegel event in Toronto. That's where I lived at the time, Toronto, Canada. And Dr. Bernie Siegel had been a doctor whose books I had read and whose work I'd followed and who I thought was pretty forward thinking. Um, I'd also, uh, he was also friends with uh, Dr. Joan Borisenko, who I'd actually gone to many workshops with in uh, Mexico and in North America in the medical world, because that, that was my world. Um, and so there were these people that had, that were quite significant in my beginning to understand as I was going through this cancer journey, the mind body relationship. And so I, I got dragged off to hear Dr. Bernie Siegel. And in that conversation with him, a private conversation during one of the breaks, he asked me if I'd ever written a gratitude journal. And I'll be quite honest with you, Danny. I looked at him like he was nuts. I'm dying. Got less than two weeks to live. <clears throat> and he's asking me if, I've, if, I write, if I'm writing a gratitude journal. I looked at him. I said, what have I got to be grateful for? And that was a huge point for me because... He looked at me and said, well, I, quite frankly, you're here and someone got you here because you wouldn't have gotten here on your own steam. So I'd say that you probably have a few people to be grateful for for that. And um, and he said, I really suggest that you go home and write a gratitude journal, even if you write the same thing five times. And I will never forget the next day. It was the middle of winter in Toronto. And if anybody's ever lived in, in Canada in the middle of winter, they know that winter goes on forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, just like the rain goes on forever in the UK <laughs> at certain times of the year. It does but, indeed. <laughs> but I remember looking out the window, Danny, and I, and I prayed and I, I said, God, if you want me to write in this gratitude journal, you have to give me something, a sign. I just don't know what to write. And it was as it was a miracle in my mind because just for a brief moment the sun shone through those dark clouds for just a moment and to me that was a sign i mean the sun was again gone but i wrote in my gratitude journal my first entry dear god thank you for the sun 
thank you for the sun. Thank you for the sun. Five times. Now, flip forward a month later. I wrote 137 gratitudes in my journal, and they were all different. And what Dr. Siegel had said to me was, what you focus on expands. And, you know, there's a saying that if you expand on the things you're grateful for, you get more of them. Yeah. Well, I got 26 years of to be grateful for so far. You know, so that Miracle Weekend, I learned a lot about nutrition, go, about getting back to raw food and the basics. And I learned a lot about getting into my heart and soul of who I am. And I started working with Dr. Bernie Siegel. And today, I am so grateful because I learned so much about who I am on the deepest in the deepest part of myself. You know, I learned that I didn't experience joy, fun, fun. I was too busy raising kids and working full time at a job I hated. You know, I spent thousands of dollars, thousands and thousands of dollars going to school so that I could come out of school and get a job I loved. And I ended up in a job I hated more than anything I'd ever done before as an administrative dietitian. You know, so I was living a life that was full of things I hated. And the only escape was cancer. And so I think it's a whole lot better to figure out what you really love in your life and do that rather than use cancer as your journey out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting the correlation between, which I mean makes a lot of sense, but just hearing you say that, doing something or multiple things consistently that you hate, enter cancer, and then yeah. find something that you love and some stuff to be grateful for, which, you know, 137 gratitude items per day is fantastic, by the way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a lot of people out there. In fact, I would say that probably the vast majority of people on this planet do not do every day what they love, which is obviously going to be a part of um, the manifestation of disease and cancer and whatnot, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a few points around the cancer journey. Some people have never had any attention in their lives until they get sick, whether it be cancer or something else. And then all of a sudden, everybody's pouring attention on them. Would they be motivated to get well? No, really. No, exactly. So they die for, they're dying for attention, literally. Interesting that, uh, like you mentioned before, and I mentioned quite a lot when I speak to patients, watch your language, watch yes. your language. It's powerful, isn't it? It's very powerful. And I mean, it's like, you know, people say to me, how can I adjust that though? I mean, if I hate my job and I got, you know, all those things in my life are just not fulfilling. The first thing is to start your day with a mantra that's really easy. I mean, I get up every day and say something's one, my expression is something wonderful is going to happen today. I love that. Yeah. And it's a simple mantra. And it's so interesting because I just did a whole series of presentations in June and I, I shared that, you know, I hadn't really shared that with my wide audiences. I shared it with my patients, but I hadn't really gone out on a stage and had everybody do it. And I've had so many emails and so many calls from people saying, Dr. Joyce, every day I say it, something wonderful is going to happen today and something wonderful always happens. Now it doesn't have to be big things. It could be a phone call or an email from someone that you haven't spoken to in a long time and it just warms your heart. Or you go on Facebook and you see somebody's paid you a really massive compliment, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
it can be anything, but, and it can be, you know, something huge, it can be something small, but it's something wonderful. That's all that matters. And it doesn't have to be that expression. I mean, one of my dear friends, his expression is, I love my life. He gets up every day and says, I love my life. But whatever it is that you say, it sets the framework for the day. And you make better choices when you start your day off on a, a positive note. Yeah, it's, it's all about intention, isn't it? And by doing yes. that, as soon as you stand up in the morning, you're setting your intention out for that day, aren't you? Absolutely. Absolutely, Danny. Excellent. So it sounds like you've had loads of different mentors throughout your life. Who were your inspirations to get healthy? Um, who were your role models and why? You know, that, that's a very interesting question as well. It, one of the first books that impacted me um, was by Louise Hay. Uh, you, I think it was called uh, You Can Heal Your Life. And within that book, there was another one called You, you Can Heal Your Body. And in that whole uh, part of the book, it was dealing with that concept that there's, when you look at the particular illness and you you look at the potential body, you know, the potential mind part to that, um, and then you, you create a mantra or a, uh, um, uh, a statement that's going to help you feel better, an affirmation, you know, a positive statement that you utilize to overcome that that you can get well. And I mean, it was a, a bit of a foreign concept to me. I mean, biochemistry and human nutrition, you know, I'm a scientist, you know, this is a little bit woo woo. But when I started to read through it, I thought about all the things, you know, what did I have? I had melanoma, which is skin cancer, which is all about the way you look. And my father unwittingly, when I was 12, told me I was ugly. When I was 35 and first diagnosed with cancer, he said, when I told him this, he said, oh my God, I, I did say that, but he said, I didn't mean it that way. I just didn't want you to depend on your looks. He said, to me, you're beautiful. You've always been beautiful to me. You're my daughter. He said, but, and he apologized for what he'd done. But when I was 12, I was very impressionable. And he told me I was ugly. And so what did I develop? Skin cancer. Interesting, right? It is. And, um, you know, when I read Louise Hayes' book, there was a definite relationship there. Now, uterine cancer... I, my mother would call me a slut when I was 12, and I didn't even know what the word meant. I didn't even, you know, I mean, I was a kid. I was from an era where you didn't do anything until you were married. And so I just, I didn't even know what she was talking about, you know. But when I found out what the word meant, I started to loathe my feminine parts, if that makes any sense. And, um, you know, for, I feared them. I feared them because I didn't want to be what my mother had called me. Now, my mother was mentally ill, like I said, so she I don't think she really understood what she was doing or saying. But when I was a, a kid, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old, I mean, it, it, very impactful. And so when, when you look at the relationship between the part of my body that developed cancer and the way that I felt about that part of my body, pretty interesting, right? Oh, definitely. So... Now, I don't feel like any, I don't have those experiences or thoughts or beliefs at all now. I've worked through all of that. But the fact was that that was the first eye-opener for me was in reading that book and realizing the potential for the mind-body connection. 
So as a result of that, you know, I did start following people like Joan Borisenko, and I can actually call her a friend today. But I, I started following her work. And then, of course, as I said, Bernie, Dr. Bernie Siegel. And in the long run of my life, I had the really phenomenal good fortune of working hand in hand with Dr. Carl Simonton at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. It was the only J-O-B uh, per se, that I'd had that I really loved. And that was when I was the director of nutrition for the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And at that point in my life, I actually did work with Dr. Carl Simonton, whose work had also influenced my journey in, with his books and his um, Getting Well Again, you know, was the, was his book and Getting Well, I think it was called Getting Well was his audio cassette program at the time, which became, of course, CDs. But, um, they were really primary uh, influencers, I believe, in the directions I started taking when I actually did overcome cancer. Before that, you know, when I was trying all the other things, you know, the nutrition and, you know, and not really doing anything that was taking me inside myself to, to explore the underlying unresolved emotional issues, um, there were a lot of other um, mentors. But I quite frankly, can't remember who they were at this point in time. The ones I remember are the ones who forced me to, well, didn't force me, but um, influenced the journey that I took into my being, into the depth of my soul. So um, when you work with your patients, obviously in the media and whatnot, there's loads of different diets and fads and different programs out there. For the listeners out there who really seek true health and wellness, what lifestyle or diet or whatever word you want to use would you recommend those health seekers follow? Well, you know, it. I definitely recommend that they um, they listen to their own body. I mean, it's it's interesting because I know that people are are. are they're jumping all over the place looking for the perfect diet, right? I should be vegetarian. I should be vegan. I should be uh, paleolithic. I should be, you know, I, I'm a meat eater, so I've got to have my meat, but I'll make sure it's free range meat, you know, and, and wild fish and so on. And, um, you know, I've, I'm trying to remember the name of the diet, flexitarian, right? That's the name of a, the new kind of diet, which is pre predominantly vegan plus uh, fish or fish and chicken or whatever. Um, and I would say if I was just to determine to determine what my diet is today, it would be flexitarian. I'm vegan plus fish and, and I cheat sometimes and have a little bit of Parmesan cheese on my salad, especially if it comes from Europe, because I, I know it's safer than it is if it's from animals raised here. But the point that I'm getting at is that uh, with all the different diets that are out there, when I work with a patient... I can't tell a person who's been a meat and potatoes eater their whole life that now they have to abandon that diet and immediately jump on veganism and follow it to the letter. Because what happens to them is they feel deprived, they feel anxious, they feel hostile even, that they're being forced to change so dramatically. So what I do is I work with them to help them find the right balance for them and gradually move them to a much greater plant-based diet. Because I do honestly believe that the plant-based diet is the foundation for health. So, you know, I am, that's, that is a, a direction I go, but I don't force anybody. I believe that we have to work gradually and shift, you know, small changes make a big difference. 
And so everything that I try to do is small changes that can be done very quickly because I'm, you know, my, one of the titles I have is the master of five minute healthy strategies that anyone can do anywhere, anytime. And what I've done is I've taken what I learned in yoga back in 1970 and 71, 71, 72, and I have taken what I learned there and adapted it to the Western world. Because what I learned there was an all day event. You know, you got up and you were up at three o'clock in the morning and you were meditating and then you were doing pranayama and then you were doing yoga asanas and then you were doing karma yoga for most of the day and then going back to, you know, your all the other things you did at the first of the day, throughout the day and at the end of the day. And so your whole life was that. Now in the Western world, we don't live like that, you know, and that's not really going to work. What we do is we have to fit those kinds of in to our, our life and found is also that most people will be can get truly maximum benefit from five minutes at a time as long as they do them throughout the day as needed. So that's the system I use, but it's based on the whole person. So it's a five key system that addresses the way we breathe it address, and how to do it effectively, the food we eat, making sure it's optimal, plant-based diet, as back to basics as possible, no processed food. Um, and then we get into exercise for cellular rejuvenation and I have certain specific uh, practices such as the rebounder that are part of that. Um, and then we look at the uh, rest, relax and rejuvenate, which is something most people in the Western world don't take time out to do. And, you know, I have a saying, take five now to save five later. And that's take five minutes now to save five years later, because that was my experience. And then we look at gratitude, a gratitude attitude, how to experience gratitude in all aspects of your life. And then we tailor it to the person, to you, so that it's specifically what you're willing to do. And I have hundreds of strategies to choose from, but they have to fit into that five key system so that you're addressing all aspects of what it is to be a human being in this world today. Not just a human doing, but a human being. I like that. Yeah, that's something I've often said to people as well with regards to the, we are human beings as opposed to human doing. Yeah. I like it a lot. So obviously I can hear, um, and feel the, the the passion and the drive and the inspiration that you've got for the work you do. What is it that 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 drives you on your mission? What is your mission? My mission, Danny, is to stop the the development of cancer, which has become fast become a very close second to heart disease as the number one and two killer uh, in the world. And uh, especially in developed countries. And cancer is, has actually been number one for several years since the year 2000 in North America. I think in the Western world in general. And uh, my whole philosophy is to kick cancer in the can. To knock it out of the park, get rid of it, and stop this epidemic. It's, it's like an epidemic in young people. I mean, every time I turn around, I'm hearing about another young person who's been diagnosed with, I mean, a 12-year-old girl diagnosed with breast cancer. There's no logic to that. How could this be? This was an older woman's illness up until a few decades ago. 
You know, and when you think that in in our Western world, one in three women and one in two men will develop cancer in their lifetime, compared to 1950 when one in 50 people would develop cancer. That's huge increase. It's exponential, isn't it? Exponential is, yes, great word. And the fact of the matter is it's not just older people anymore. That's the problem. I mean, when I hear of, and I mean, I was only 35 when I was diagnosed with uterine cancer, and it's getting worse. I mean, young men, 30 years old with prostate cancer, this was an old man's illness, you know, and breast cancer, uterine cancer, ovarian cancer. They're, these cancers are predominantly hormonally based. So they're diet and lifestyle related. If we change and get our diet and lifestyle and get back to healthy practices, the, the longest living cultures in the world, the blue zone, with the, the most people over 100 years old, what they call cent centenarians, they have a balanced life, and that's what we don't have. And so my passion is to help people create, even in the craziness of their day-to-day -day lives, a semblance of balance by having five-minute strategies throughout their day that can recenter them that can move them from a stressful situation to a relaxed situation very quickly so that they can prevent something like cancer from starting or at least getting a grip. I mean, let's face it, we all have cancer cells in our body, but it's, you know, it's a, a matter of controlling them and not, not allowing them the opportunity for growth. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's only when our immune systems get so overrun that we actually get overrun by the cancer, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So lots of these different strategies you've been alluding to, Marilyn. Um, would you be able to share a couple of those with, with the listeners that they can use to help um, in their total health transformation experience? Absolutely. I would be more than happy to, Danny. One of the strategies I use... Uh, and it, you know, it's kind of a combination of a couple of the strategies that, you know, the, uh, I have the exhale fully first, uh, you know, I use the word energy. It was an epiphany I had after I wrote my book, Instant Energy, and the book was done. And then all of a sudden I had this epiphany that energy actually could be the foundation, the, um, of what I teach. So, uh, E is for exhale fully first, because you can't fully inhale until you exhale fully first. And then you can breathe in more of that life-giving oxygen. So that's number one. The next step is nutrition excellence daily. And as I mentioned, that's getting back to whole fruits and vegetables, not juicing. I, I'm not a believer in juicing at all because cancer thrives on sugar. And the minute that you create juice, you've thrown out the fiber that's in that fruit or vegetable. And as well as that, you've thrown out the 25 to 35% of the nutrients that are in that food that are attached to the fibrous part. You know, the creator created whole food for a reason. It has everything intact that works synergistically together. So, you know, it's a diet of predominantly whole foods, untampered with, organically grown, not commercially grown. And if it's animal meat, it's either wild game meat or uh, wild fish, that type of thing, if you're going to eat animal meat and keep it to a minimum. The healthiest cultures in the world, it, all except for one, do eat some meat. But one serving of meat that we in the Western world would eat would serve eight or nine people in their culture. 
So it's using meat more as a condiment than uh, part of your plate. Um, then we come to exercise for, uh, for cellular rejuvenation. And for example, the things that are great would be swimming and rebounding because they actually also detox the lymphatic system. The problem is for most of us, if we swim, we either swim in polluted or we swim in chlorinated water, which defeats us. But rebounding is one of the best exercises. It's been uh, many, many studies done by NASA that really indicates the value of it for building your muscles, building your bones, uh, detoxing your lymphatic system very quickly as well. You only need about five to seven minutes a day to get the benefits. Um, so rebounding is definitely one of my recommendations. And if a person tells me they can't stand up and rebound, don't, no worry, sit on the rebounder and bounce on it. And they actually, uh, Rebound Air produces a, a, a seated rebounder where you can actually sit in it and rebound just sitting in it. So if you've had a stroke or something like that, you can actually just get in it and sit in it and do it. So that's one of, that's one of my big uh, mainstays. And then, of course, rest, relax, and rejuvenate is the R in energy. And that is where I say to take five now to save five later. And this is where you can combine the breathing with the time out. And I really advocate if you are in a stressful job, whether you're working at home or you're going out to an office and you're in heavy traffic, do not come home and raid the refrigerator or pour yourself an alcoholic beverage until you have put your feet up for five minutes. Because when you're under stress, you don't digest anything. You have indigestion, not digestion going on. Because all when you're in stress mode, you're in fight or flight mode. So all of the energy is going to your extremities, your muscles, your arms and your legs to, to run or to fight, right? So we want to rest, relax and rejuvenate. Put your feet up, put a timer on for five minutes, put on some really good relaxing music. No Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. That's not relaxing. You want something like meditation music or relaxing music and then start breathing. And one of the easiest ways to keep your mind off of things is to actually count your breath which is a very effective way of also breathing. So it's, I tell people to begin with, just breathe into a count of four, hold to a count of four, and release to a count of four, and do that for five minutes. You know, and just breathing in, holding it, and breathing out, and counting your breath as you do it slowly, like one, two, three, four, that kind of tempo. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so that's what I recommend is to do the breathing and that's what you're doing then is you're taking time out and you're doing the breathing. So you've combined those two um, parts of the process, right? The exhale first and breathing and then the rest, relax and rejuvenate. And after you've done that, then that might be a good time to pull out your gratitude journal and write down at least three things or five things that you're grateful for. And that's a strategy, by the way, <clears throat> that I really encourage my patients to go to utilize when they're having a really bad experience or they've had a bad day or they've had a bad encounter with someone or they just feel really fearful about the journey they're on with if they're going through cancer or there may be the loved one who's taking care of someone who's got cancer right? I tell them, pull out your gratitude journal <clears throat> and begin writing three to five things that you're grateful for. I'm just going to get some water here. 
<clears throat> and just write three to five things that you're grateful for in your journal. It will immediately change the way you feel. Immediately. And so that, that gratitude journal is a strategy that I've been using. I used it in my own journey and I still use it. And I use it with my patients and they get amazing results using it. Because when you have gratitude, that takes your mind off of you. Especially if you can be grateful for the people in your life who are helping you. Maybe they're a loved one who's helping you while you're going through the cancer journey or, or a friend who is helping you with a project and they're always there when you need them. Someone who's encouraging you in your life, whatever it may be. It's really a beautiful thing to have gratitude for other people in your life and for things that they're doing for you or things that they're doing in the world. Absolutely. So those, yeah, those are just a few of the strategies. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's always about fitting them into your day five minutes at a time, though, so that you're not making them too big. If you make them too big, if you if you think about, you know, people will say to me, if I think about going to the gym, I think about the 10-minute drive there, the hour there, and the 10-minute drive home, and I'm all sweaty and hot, and I've got to have a shower as well when I either when I get home or before I leave the gym, and it's two hours gone. Now, that instead of, I mean, instead of that, five to seven minutes on the rebounder that you have at home will do as much as if you went for a 35 or 40 minute uh, walk, fast walk or, or slow run. That's cool. Yeah. For, for those people. I'm not saying don't go to the gym. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm, I'm saying that if there's a toss up between them, do what you're going to do. Definitely. Because anything's better than nothing, isn't it? Absolutely. So just for those people in Europe, um, a rebounder, I'm presuming, is like a small trampoline, isn't it? That's right. I mean, it's a mini trampoline. Um, and, you know, the, if you've got a large trampoline, great. More power to you. I mean, if it was possible to have one here, I'd have a, a big one. But I love the mini trampoline because it's being utilized by NASA uh, when the astronauts come back. And, you know, their bone density is very depleted when they come back from being out in space for even just brief periods of time. But within just a month of using the rebounder, and often less than that, they've actually regenerated their bone density. Interesting. That's yeah, a good so idea. it's a really good exercise for sure. I loved what you were saying about gratitude as well, because I've had the belief for a long time that what you think about and think about, you bring about, which I heard. Yes many moons ago, Dr. Martini say at one of his seminars. And, uh, you know, I've adopted that as my own saying ever since and done a, a gratitude journal. I still do today. I've done for many years. First thing I get up, at least five to 10 things that I'm grateful for. Then I write out what my intention is and go about live my day and a couple of other gratitude things before I go to bed or a success journal. I mean, they only have to be little things, don't they? Five successes. Absolutely. Every, every one of us have, have done five things successfully today, haven't we? So we can all write something in a, in a journal. Totally. I completely agree with you, Danny. That's what the most significant thing. I mean, it doesn't have to be huge things. It can be as simple as I got call done that I've been meaning to do all week. I finally did it. Thank you for getting that done. 
you know? Um, it, it's just, we all have so many things to be grateful for. That was the big learning experience for me when I couldn't think of anything to be grateful for and wrote the same thing five times. And then, you know, a month later, now I don't have the time to sit down and write 137 gratitudes at this point in time. But at that point in time, I wasn't doing very much with my life, you know, other than trying to get well. But, um, but when I looked at the 137 gratitudes, I realized, wow, there's so many things to be grateful for. The, the, the breeze, you know, going through the, blowing through the leaves of the trees is beautiful to behold. You know, there's things like simple little things like that. Oh, the fact definitely. that we have trees, you know? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're kind of important, aren't they? Yeah, some parts of the world don't have them, you know? Um, someone who, who's in your life who's done a small, a small or a large thing for you. Maybe someone took you to a play that you had wanted to see forever. Uh, you know, it can be that type of thing. It can be just having coffee with a friend and sharing the depth of your soul. Absolutely. And... Mm -hmm. um, and I know how busy you are, Marilyn, so I really want to thank you for taking out some um, time from your really busy schedule to be with us on this call tonight. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure, Danny. It's been just a joy. So is there any particular website that you'd like to send people to to find out more about yourself, Marilyn? Probably the best website for them to visit would be kickcancerinthecan.com. And, um, and also I have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash kick cancer in the can. I have several pages on Facebook, but that one is the one where, um, I really do devote a lot of time and energy to getting a, a podcast out every week and putting it up on that page. And so, you know, between the, the kick cancer in the can.com and the Facebook page, which is kick cancer in the can, you know, definitely anybody who's dealing with the journey of cancer, they'll get a lot of information there. Excellent. Thanks again, Marilyn. It's been an absolute pleasure. The same here for me, Danny. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the THT podcast with myself, Dr. Danny Scarhill. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, or any one of the other outlets where we stream. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash total health transformation. You can also find more information about myself on my website, dannyscarhill.com, where you'll find lots of fantastic information and some free products for you as well. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Take care. All the best. You've been listening to Dr. Danny Scarhill on the Total Health Transformation Podcast, helping you to eat, move and think on purpose. See you on our next episode.